Okay, if you took out Doge Tweet, you're up 158% on your initial capital. If you took out Monkey Ball uh, 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 Trade, you're up about 58%. And today I'm going to give you a third trade. Today also, what we're going to be talking about, I'm going to blow your minds with a show today. So firstly, we're going to be talking about the FOMC meeting. Then we're going to be talking about some major, major, major news which may impact the FOMC meeting. Then I'm going to talk to you about probably the biggest story that's happened since I started doing the show. It's one of the biggest stories that we've ever had. It's going to be absolutely huge. So listen, listen. Today is a show you have to watch until the end. Get the fuck out of bed, bitch. Go. rise and shine remember i said to you guys i probably wasn't going to be here today because one of my kids was going in for an operation so he went in for the operation and today's such a big show that i actually thought even though he's waiting for me to when he wakes up to be there i'm here and i'm bringing you crypto love and i'm bringing you crypto wisdom that that's the that's what you call dedication and the only reason why i'm doing it is because today we've got a huge 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 show we're going to be breaking a whole lot of stories here on the show we're going to be talking about the elon doge tweet and then you know is it time to actually start taking profits on doge uh, we're going to be talking about FOMC and how to prepare your portfolios for the FOMC. Sheldino Tentino is joining us later. He's going to talk about a couple of charts. Um, there is a lot. There is a lot to talk about today. So we're here. We're going to have fun. What I need you to do is, Zachy, come here. Come here, boy, boy. Tell, tell the people what they need to do. If you want to get a new iPad, come and tell them here in the microphone. Come and sit here and tell them what do they need to do. Um, I don't know about I told you, they what? must do, what must they do? They must do? Subscribe to his channels every time. Yes, they must subscribe to the channel. And what else must you do? You must hit the like button. Say that. Hit the like button. And say, if you subscribe, my daddy will buy me a new iPad. Say. If you subscribe, my daddy will buy me a new iPad. Okay, now go and play on your iPad. So you see, Zachy's here because we're going to, we're going to, uh, we're going to, uh, to visit his brother at the hospital straight after the show, as soon as the show is finished. So listen, if you have, subscribe to the channel, um, Highest Alpha Show on the internet. That is for absolute certain. Today is going to be no different. Let's do this. Let's have some fun. Let's see. I see. I see. I've got Tentino in the background here. Filming Sniper School. Tentino. Yo. What's happening, bro? Sniper School stuff, bro. Mind blowing, bro. Mind blowing. We're mind getting blowing. there. We're getting there. What did we say? About eighty percent. Like. So we're going to do a Sniper School before the end of the year, right? That's the goal, bro. That's the goal. And uh, we went it. bigger than what we thought. We went bigger than what we thought. It's, it's, it's going to be huge. All right. So we're going to talk about Doge in a couple of seconds. Maybe talk about some other charts. In fact, while I've got you, let's actually look at some of the charts together. So when I look at the charts, the first chart that I look at is I'm looking at, okay, so this is the, the, the NASDAQ chart. NASDAQ looking strong ahead of good. the FOMC meeting. 
uh we can quickly look at the bitcoin chart together let me quickly just call up a bitcoin chart it, it kind of looks like bitcoin's waiting for tomorrow like that's sort of what it looks like it's just like just holding and not doing much it feels like it feels like the nasdaq is strong going into fomc bitcoin looks like it had the breakout and now it's like almost doing like this perfect retest which mm -hmm. is which is pretty cool the one mm -hmm. chart that really caught my attention uh before the fomc meeting is this one now not many people are watching this chart here i want to show it to you it's the us 10 year treasury yield so mm -hmm. not many people are, are watching this because it's kind of like taking a backseat. but if you look at this chart what do you see so firstly trend definitely slowing down bro this thing's been going up the whole year and while it's been going up markets have been pretty terrible uh, it is losing trend and i see a retest definitely and i saw today a little bit of acceleration to the so do you agree with me? Do you agree with me? Like, I mean, so one, it broke the trend down, but mm -hmm. the next level, the next real level is somewhere around there, 3.5% on the 10-year treasury yield. It is. It is. I actually have a chart if you want me to, to show you. Yeah, pull up, pull up your chart. Let's quickly go through your charts because these are important charts ahead of the FOMC meeting. Dude, this, is, this is very important and it's sort of giving us a little bit of a hint. So yes, we have the trend line, which is obviously breaking and we had the retest. But one thing that I did see, I've been using the 12 hour quite a bit because giving a, a good amount of data is the 50 moving average. For the first time in quite a while, we're actually looking at possibly closing below, if not dropping it today. Now, this is just another indication. We've broken trend line and we did have RSI's way overbought. But if we drop this, the last time we dropped this, we ended up having a 17% decrease in the 10-year yield. Now, in that time, Bitcoin went up 30%. In yes. that time, this was, this was the part between June and August in that time. Now yes. we're at the point where we can drop again. And if it drops, basically what it means is we'll go down to the next sort of support. Now, I marked down the two supports. The one is 12%. The other one's sitting around 20%. So ultimately, it's sort of giving us an indication that whatever move we sort of got in this time is something that we can possibly be getting now. Now, it's interesting, bro. Is the FOMC going to go in our way? Because if it goes in our way tomorrow, it's showing a very fast decrease within the 10-year, which we haven't obviously seen uh, for, for, for the last few months. How do you feel about it, bro? Do you think it's going to be, so, are they going to play with us, dude? Are they going to like, because this could be the moment. you got Bitcoin hugging 21K. There's a lot to talk about FOMC, but you know what? I'm actually going to withhold my, <laughs> um, I'm going to withhold my commentary on FOMC. And the reason for that is because we've got a huge guest and I want to hear his feedback on the FOMC. So I'm going to keep you in the waiting room, bro, uh, because I want to talk to you about Doge and when it's the, a good time to take profits, because we know that Elon did tweet about Doge and we know that usually that marks something, a top, a bottom or something. But um, yeah, so I think that listed. So Sheldon, I'm going to put you in the waiting room. Oh my Cool. So we've got Sheldina with us. We're going to be talking about that. Let's quickly just look at where we are. So we looked at the charts. Bitcoin's holding strong. The 10-year treasury yield looks like it may break this trend and maybe even come down. Remember that November is actually the best month for Bitcoin of all time. So no matter which way you look at it, this is the November um, the November month. And you can see that if you look at the months, November is the most profitable month for Bitcoin if you take it ac across the history of Bitcoin. Not only is it the most profitable month, but if you cumulatively add up all the, all the percentages, you'll see that November is um, by far the, the most profitable month. Um, and what we can also see is that the hype, if you look at the hype on Bitcoin, the hype on Bitcoin is now 
pretty much at a low. So you can see if this is the, the what they call the hype cycles, and you can see that the hype cycles are pretty much at a low. And historically, if you bought these lows, so if you bought the hype lows, which is here, or here, or here, or what, where we are today, historically, if you would have bought these lows, that was the beginning of something huge, usually taking you up uh, huge levels. So you can see that all the all the factors are pointing to a, a very, very, very good November month. And the month starts off with the FOMC meeting. And tomorrow is, well, today and tomorrow is the FOMC meeting. But tomorrow, Powell's going to speak after the FOMC meeting, and they're going to announce the interest rate decision. If you look at the interest rate, uh, if you look at the interest rates uh, 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 predictions as they are now, 87.8% said there's a 75 basis point rate hike. And 12.2% of people said there's, there's going to be a 50 basis point rate hike. So it feels to me like there's probably going to be a 75 basis point rate hike. But what we're looking at is we're looking at what Powell's going to do afterwards. The question is, is he going to pivot? Is he going to start talking about tapering? Is he going to start talking about pausing? That is, I think, what the big questions are. And I, th I think instead of us talking about it again, I've got Macro Elf back on the show. Macro Elf, how are you, my friend? Hey, Ren. Nice to be here. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. All good. Um, Elf, tomorrow, FOMC meeting, what are you expecting? What, I mean, are you expecting 75 basis points, first of all? Uh, mm -hmm. And if yes, what are you expecting on the narrative from Powell after that? So I'm expecting 75 basis points. Seems to be pretty much set in stone, if you ask me. The most important thing, though, is going to be how Powell responds effectively to the many Fed uh, pivot calls that he's been receiving throughout the entire year. So far, he has responded very clearly, Ren, no way. Now, let's see if this time is the time it turns. I would say that rather than the Fed pivot, what we have seen so far is a non-Fed pivot, which means that other central banks have actually shown some hesitation. The European Central Bank last week, Bank of Canada, in Australia as well, we have seen hikes slowing down. But why is that, Ren? Because in those jurisdictions, there are some inherent fragilities housing markets, private debt, the European infrastructure um, uh, architecture is very fragile. Can you say the same about the US? Can you say the same about a country which is running unemployment rate still at 3.5%? Can you say the same for a country that has core inflation north of 5%? I don't think really that Powell can very much validate those Fed pivots calls. So far, people have to be happy with the non-Fed central banks showing some signs of, um, of constriction here and there. What about the fact that the following week we have the midterm elections? Surely that's a factor. Um, a lot of people have forecast. I mean, I, I read one tweet, which I think is probably worth bringing up here. Now, granted, it's not coming from an economist, but it says, uh, Alex Becker says, I just don't see the Fed pushing the market down with the Dem struggling going into midterms, pump the market with a 50 basis point, resume aggressive hiking afterwards. I mean, it does sound like wishful thinking, and we do know that the Fed is not really aligned to a political party, and they don't really care that the Dems, num the Democrats' numbers are down. But is there a chance that, given the fact that there are midterm elections, that the Fed could do something like that? So the chance can't be zero. And you have put up the chart before that it's priced in at roughly 10% nowadays. I think that's a correct probability. It's really a tail risk. I think 75 basis points what the Fed has to do to show credibility out there. Now, the thing I want to come across with, Ren, is the following. A Fed pivot, which seems that uh, it's everybody's waiting for the, the Fed pivot. We will get one, I guess, probably uh, early next year. But it will not be something to be very happy about. Can I explain why? The yes. moment the Fed pivots, uh, the Fed, imagine the Fed. The Fed is driving a car and is looking in the rearview mirror. 
And what I mean is the following. They're setting monetary policy, which is driving the car. And instead of looking at what's in front, and it's very clear what's in front, the housing market is slowing down, the labor market is slowing down, inflation will ultimately slow down. But they're not looking in front, Ren. They're looking on the back. The rear view mirror is inflation. And unless inflation slows down to basically all the way to 2%, they cannot feel very confident with slowing down the pace of hiking. But inflation is the most lagging indicator in the cycle. And you're putting up this chart. That's great. It shows rent inflation. Rent inflation, which is a great component of core inflation, is the most lagging indicator of all because you first need house prices to go up. Then you need some time to fit into rents. Then you need rent negotiations to go up. And now for rent inflation to slow down, it will take another six or nine months, which means the Federal Reserve, instead of looking in front of us, ahead of us, when they should see already an economic slowdown, they're setting monetary policy, looking in the rearview mirror, which means a pivot only comes when you not only have slowed the car, but you've also probably hit the tree in front of you because you're not looking in front, you're looking in the rearview mirror. So yes, a Fed pivot will come. It will be nothing to be happy about, really, because it means we have done enough damage already to the economy. What about the possibility that maybe the Fed increases by 75 basis points and then during Powell's speech, they talk about a pause and saying, look, we've raised four times 75 basis point rate hikes, kind of unprecedented, except if you go back to the 70s. Um, uh, maybe what we should do now is, you know, either slow down or um, pause our rate hikes to see what the effect of this is. Any chance that we get that kind of language with Powell tomorrow? Yeah, there is a chance you get that kind of language because ultimately the Fed has no interest in breaking the financial system overall, right? Um, the problem is what's priced in in markets. I mean, I'm a bond market guy. And so it's not all, also only what we get, but it's what we get against what's priced in, right? It's the surprise element that makes markets move. And so a 75 basis point is already priced in, as you correctly showed before. What's priced ahead is the Federal Reserve to do another 75 basis point hike and then to slowly stop basically by the first quarter of next year. So if Powell basically signals that, I think it doesn't really move the needle. If he starts to say that, hey, it's another hike and then full stop, that's already a dovish surprise, right? So it's yeah. all about what he says against what's priced in. And I think, you know, right now he's trying to thread the needle he can't really say, hey, guys, we're going to stop tomorrow, because if he does, he sends Bitcoin to the moon. He sends the stock market to the moon. He restarts the housing market. Does he want that? Remember, he wants to slow down inflation, right? To slow down inflation now, you need to slow demand. If you make the 401ks be worth all of a sudden 20% more in two months, what do you think people will be doing? Spending less? They were probably spending more because they feel they're getting richer somehow. And that's it's just antithetical, basically, to what the Federal Reserve is looking at at the moment. Yeah. All right. So that's the, the what you're talking about is managing demand side, you know, managing consumer richness, consumer income, yeah. managing, you're talking about managing demand side. You tweeted something earlier on today, and it looks like a lot of people have caught onto your story. In fact, uh, CNBC is now starting to report on it. We thought we'd report on it with you uh, pretty, pretty early. And that is that there are rumors out of China that they formed a committee to assess strategies to exit the COVID zero policy and reopen the economy. Now, if it's true, as you say, this is huge because a lot of the inflation is actually supply side inflation. And a lot of that supply side inflation has been caused by China and China's inability to supply because of the COVID, their radical COVID policies. What else do we know about this? So... 
this all started early, early in the morning when um, Hong Kong markets and uh, Chinese markets uh, shook to the roof and everybody was looking for what the heck is going on here. And what the heck is going on is there was an unconfirmed uh, rumor on social media that somebody close to the Communist Party understood that uh, Xi Jinping is effectively setting up committees to consider an exit from the zero COVID policy somewhere early next year. Now, why does it make the difference, Ren? It makes a difference because so far China has tried to stimulate its economy, but how can you stimulate the economy if everybody's locked home? Over 40% of GDP worth of cities in China are in lockdown. Can you imagine that? I mean, all the activities basically come to a halt. Now, what happens if there is a reopening in China, even a partial one, Ren? The first thing that happens is that commodity demand goes up pretty aggressively. Uh, think about the oil demand that China is not producing right now because everybody's stuck home. Now, make industrial production restart even partially in China, and you will have commodity demand increasing. You will have nominal growth, in other words, not only real growth, but also nominal growth picking up. And so what happens back then is that commodities will go up, that will feed into inflation expectations, it will push nominal growth higher all over the world, as China is a big player worldwide when it comes to imports and exports as well of, of goods and demand. And what this will do, probably, in my opinion, is be a, a good tailwind for risk assets because earnings perspectives will all of a sudden look a bit better once China's back into the game. But at the same time, it will complicate central banks' role in, de in developed markets because, hey, demand is picking up and central banks right now do not want demand to pick up. You just said it correctly before. Now put China all of a sudden back into the equation with pent-up stimulus that the Communist Party has tried to throw through the economy, which wasn't really functioning because it was in lockdown. So it's a reopening with pent-up stimulus behind that goes into commodity demand, goes into goods demand, picks up nominal growth, and it makes the life of central bankers more complicated while at the same time boosting earnings for companies. So it becomes a, a, basically a, um, a pool from both directions. Positive risk assets in the first place, positive commodities in the first place, but it also makes central banks have to act even harder than they're doing right now to slow inflation down. But surely it brings down. It surely it brings down uh, inflation, and and bringing down inflation right now, as Paul says, is actually his main his main objective. Yeah. So there is a, a dichotomy here because it solves supply bottlenecks to a certain extent. If you reopen ports in China, then all of a sudden you can you know Hello. ship your your goods. Hello, <laughs> ship your goods much uh, much easier. Um, once the ports are reopened in China, for example. So that kind of supply inflation gets eased, and you're right, Ren. But what about the demand side? You're boosting it. You're reopening. You're giving Chinese consumers a way to spend this pent-up stimulus back into the economy. That basically pushes up growth and pushes up commodity prices. And as you push up commodity prices, it goes into inflation expectation. Powell becomes more nervous. And all of a sudden, he has to be even more aggressive. So I would say at the beginning, it's very positive. It's probably even non-inflationary growth, very positive for risk assets. Later on, it complicates the life of central bankers. They need to act fast and more aggressive, which can you know, change the dynamics very quickly. Uh, all right, Alfa, I've got to ask you a question. And I think I know you're very pushed on time. So just a quick question, quick answer. Have we seen the worst? No, it's my no. answer. Not yet. Okay. And, now that you've said no, you can give me one or two other sentences. I, I, know, I know I said quick, but... No, that's okay. So the answer is no. And uh, the reason why I think that is the following. 
every bot large bottom in risk assets, uh, when we are looking into a recession, and yes, we are looking into a recession, the housing market has come to a complete halt, and the housing market is about 15 to 20% of the US economy. How do you think that we are not going to be in a recession next year? When we look into recessions, Ran, and we need to slow down inflation at the same time, risk assets have bottomed once earnings are very close to bottoming on the way down. We have just witnessed the first earnings downgrades from large companies. Have you seen Amazon? Have you seen Meta? Have you seen these guys, right? I think this is just the beginning of the trend that will extend into next year, 2023. So we have another leg down in the bear market. It's not a valuation leg. It's an earnings leg. It's a labor market weakness leg. It's a housing market weakness leg. That comes early next year. Once that is cleaned, you're really set up for one of these good opportunities where you can go back and buy risk assets. But we need to be a bit more patient. The rally can extend. I think it will extend further unless Powell tomorrow comes up and says, oh, guys, what do you think you're doing? If he's relatively lenient, it will extend. The seasonals, as you show, are very good for November and December. But medium term, there will be an earnings slowdown, a housing market slowdown, a labor market slowdown, part of the bear market that comes early next year. Elf, thank you so much, my brother. Unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable. They're, they're calling you, not they're calling you in the chat. They're calling me macro alpha, <laughs> macro alpha. <laughs> Amazing. All right, cool. So that's that. That is the FOMC. FOMC tomorrow, expecting 75 basis points. We're going to listen out to what Powell says afterwards. That's the big thing. Uh, I'm not going to be, I'm going to be on a plane to Lisbon, but Chaldino Tentino is going to be running the show with you guys um, and, and having a listen to you guys. Um, so that's that. Also remember to look out for anything, any news around China easing their, their COVID restrictions, because that could change things a lot. Uh, and I think we were one of the first channels to bring you that story. We'll keep monitoring that story. Um, all right, let's talk about probably the biggest story of the day. And that is, of course, this story over here. We did tell you guys to buy Doge. We told you guys to buy Doge at six cents. I begged you guys. I said to you guys, you know, with Elon taking over Twitter, you cannot afford to ignore Doge anymore. We did a show about it yesterday. Okay, but now Elon made the tweet. As soon as Elon made that tweet, the Dogecoin price shot up. Went up to about 16 cents. Uh, I was actually long in that trade on my BitGet account. And then what I did was I took a short. So I've actually, I've actually taken two trades on, the BitGet, on my BitGet account. Uh, I put in $1,000. I got 1679 I went long and I went short. Now, the question is, what do we do next? So we now know that Elon has tweeted about Doge. It's the first tweet that he's made about Doge since he's, um, since he's moved into Twitter. And... I guess we need to be asking ourselves, what is the right move now? Do we take profits? Do we buy more? And I thought what I'd do with that is actually bring Sheldino Tentino back and we can look at the charts and see what the charts say. And then I'll give you what the fundamentals say around that. So Sheldino, some people got into Doge um, yeah. when we told them, six cents. Some people got in a little bit later at 11 cents and 10 cents. They now all up in the profit. Uh, and interestingly, I heard that over 62% of Doge addresses are now in profit, which means that Doge oh, wow. is one of the most profitable cryptocurrencies in the in in the world at the moment ironically it means That's that amazing. most holders, most holders are in profit but what do we do now what do we do now we've had the elon tweet what do we do now what are the charts telling us so it kind of feels very similar to like when he started last year with obviously the the tweeting of it and this big acceleration comes uh obviously we broke an 18-month trend so that's where all of a sudden i'm glad you called it at six cents because that's spot on and from that you could just see the acceleration of how volume started to come through now for me like 
you know, Alpha was saying, I still think next year, beginning next year, I still think we have the pressure to come in the market. So I do think that Doge will, will, will come down at some point. And ultimately, I have two TPs around 16 cents and around 20 cents that I think it'll get to on this move. But what I'm actually thinking, if you look at the weekly, another week or two of growth to the upside, but I kind of feel it's similar to this area over here. You see these two big green ones at this point. And then what I'm thinking is I don't think it dumps too much. I think it does come back down to around 10 cents somewhere there. And I think as an investor or someone that I want to buy, I want to load up more in that area. But I kind of feel it sets down for the beginning of next year while Bitcoin takes its time, possible depression. And then I think the leg after that can be massive. Now, you've said it very clearly. We cannot play with Doge anymore. We cannot say we've always been saying it's a shit coin. It's a meme coin. I think for the first time ever, it's got some serious backing now. And I do feel you do need to have a part of it in the portfolio. It's just very stupid right now, just my opinion on it, of chasing and buying right now. So for me, I'm taking profits on this pump and I'm buying back at 10 cents when this weekly stochastics at the bottom because we've seen it many times before. Um, right now, it's running because of Elon. That's, that's the problem. It's not running naturally. And when it's running off of a tweet or it's running off of an influencer, it doesn't always last that long. And we've seen that many times. So I want to challenge you on that. And the reason why I want to challenge you is say, you know, before Elon tweeted, Dogecoin was trading at about 12.5 cents. That was what was happening. I was watching it. Then Elon tweeted, Dogecoin went to 16 cents. But now Dogecoin's mm -hmm. back down at 13.5 cents. So mm -hmm. you're saying not, not, not the time to get back in yet? I think short term, like on the leverage accounts, it's fun because it's an active coin right now. But I think as an investor, no, I don't think you should be buying this long term entries right now. I don't. I right, think me... eight, eight, nine cents, I think, is the, is the spot for me. OK, and lastly, before we let you go, Bitcoin going into FOMC, what are the charts telling you? Two, two plays, bro. Two plays. So I'll actually show you them here quickly. Um, let's jump on here. And let's go to Bitcoin. So two plays that either dumps off into our support. We spoke about the support area of around 19.5. So here's my two plays here. So either we dump off into the meeting tomorrow. So around about 20K. And then I think we have a decent push. Um, or from here, we then go to the 23K and then the pullback. So it all depends. But it kind of looks like the market's going to pull back into the meeting. It does. It looks like, which has always been bullish before. Um, yeah, if we've had yeah, a bit of a pullback yeah. into it. So I think, I think the market does possibly pull back into it, slowly pricing in the 75. I'm hoping, bro, what's the chances of a 50 basis point? What's the chances? Because that will send the market. Right now, the chances are, if you look at the statistics, 12.8%. Um, but so the, stock market, the stock market is 11, 10 to 11% from all-time high. That if the Fed raises rates by 50 basis points on Wednesday, um, there, there could be a 10% surge in a single day. And Alex Becker says that he doesn't see the Fed pushing the market down with the Dems struggling going into midterms. I don't Isn't think that's ironic, though, because we also at the point of if that 10 year yield drops now, it's showing a huge acceleration. Like all that yes. we're saying is either it will come 75 and I think the market will just continue. But if there is a 50, I think we're going to see something that we didn't expect. So look, I don't. Um, but, then, think, but then I think you get out, bro. I still think by the end of this year, on this next pump up, I think we get out. I think we take profit. I think beginning next year is not good. Uh, All right, let's. Cool. I'm going to carry on, Shaldino Tentino. You get back Thank into. Thank you, brother. Content. I'm going to record crypto school content because we need crypto school before the end of the year. We need sniper school. I've seen it. It's amazing. It's actually unbelievable. Have Thank fun, you, my friend. Have fun, my brother.
So good to see Sheldino Tentino back on the show. All right, let's talk about some other things. By the way, um, in fact, let's carry on talking about about the uh, the Dogecoin. So Elon tweeted, the price goes up. I saw this tweet over here. I mean, I don't know how seriously it's taken, but I thought I'd share it with you guys. And what it talks about is maybe Elon is the largest holder of Dogecoin. Okay, so here is some evidence. The largest account with Doge is labeled to be the Robinhood account. So I don't know why this is freezing, but the account is labeled to be the Robinhood account. Where does the Doge of the largest holder come from? The largest holder received Doge between July 19th and July 21st and received a total of 41 billion Dogecoin. The largest holder's Doge came from five addresses and it lists the five addresses here. Address DHE, this address over here was once thought to be Elon Musk's address. And someone asked him, Elon, is this actually your address? Elon tweeted on the 10th of February, 2021, that he bought Dogecoins for his son. That same address has been accumulating Dogecoin until the 10th of February, 2021. He then tweeted and said, bought some Dogecoin for little X so he can be a toddler holder. Elon Musk tweeted the Doge father on April 28th. At that time, the address DHY, DH5A held 36.71 billion Dogecoin and accounted for 28% of the supply of Doge, circled over here. Interestingly, the address DH5 has received the same amount of Doge three times in February 21. The same amount was 28.061971. This coincides with Elon's birthday, June 28, 1971. Is it Elon suggesting that it is his address? So who knows? Maybe that is the address and Elon is the biggest holder of Dogecoin. Regardless of whether or not he is the biggest holder of Dogecoin, it's quite clear that he's quite serious about integrating it into Twitter. And if you look at this tweet here, this isn't a tweet that was just a photo taken in the middle of nowhere. This was orchestrated. This was a pumpkin with a Twitter, with a Twitter carved out of it. This is a dog. Where, I think the dog's name is Floki. I think he calls it his dog Floki. Um, and he is wearing a Twitter shirt. So he is thinking about that. Anyway, let's get into the, the real juice. And this is going to blow your minds. I guarantee you this. Okay. So we know that Elon is now at Twitter. And we know that him and his task force... And we kind of know who the task force are at the moment. It's his friends. It's people that came in the deal with him. It's uh, David Sachs from the All In Podcast. It's Jason Calacanis. It's uh, Sriram Krishan, who is ex-Twitter and ex uh, currently at A16Z. He's legal and finance guys. They are right now in Twitter. What are they doing in Twitter? They're working hard. What are they doing? Well, the first thing is Elon dissolved the Twitter board. And now he's the only director. He then also appointed himself a CEO. So now he's also the CEO of Twitter. And what he's done is he's disabled employee access to several internal content moderation and enforcement tools. So he's basically said, look, now there's going to be no more content moderation, or there's going to be a whole lot less content moderation. But I think that Elon didn't know what he was getting himself into when he bought Twitter. And I think that when he found out what he was getting himself into, he wanted to pull out. But I think that at that point, he couldn't pull out. And so here's where I think Elon didn't know what he was getting himself into. There was a story that broke yesterday. It's a huge story. It's probably one of the biggest stories that I've ever, that I've ever um, read. And it is broken by a guy called Li Fang from The Intercept. And what Li Fang broke yesterday was he reported that Facebook and Twitter created special portals for the government to rapidly request takedowns of content. The portals, along with NGO partners, used to censor a wide range of content, including obvious parody accounts 
and content disagreeing with government pandemic policy. Okay. Now, this is all documented. It's been minuted. The emails show close collaboration uh, with the Department of Homeland Security and the private sector. Twitter's Vijaya Gade, fired by Elon Musk last week, met with the Department of Homeland Security to discuss censorship plans. Microsoft execs texted DHS platforms. Platforms have to get more comfortable with the government. Here is a proof of the text. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Oh, sorry, I didn't ring last week. Think you were on a call this week. Just trying to get us into a place where the Fed can work with platforms to better understand misdistrance so relevant agencies can try and debunk or pre-bunk as useful. Not our mission, but was looking to play a coordination role so not every uh, DA is independently reaching out to platforms. Was on a call. The coordination is greatly appreciated. Was disappointed that platforms, including us, didn't offer more, more um, we'll get there, and sector leadership, and, uh, uh, and sector leadership. We'll get there. Platforms have to get more comfortable with government. It's really interesting how hesitant they remain. Again, Microsoft included. And that's uh, a text from Microsoft. How does the Department of Homeland Security justify its evolving mission from, cult from countering foreign terror attack groups to policing domestic disinformation on social media? Leak planning documents show the agency argues false information is a source of radicalization. And what it means is that the Department of Homeland Security has been working with Facebook and with Twitter to drive how you think, to manipulate, to manipulate you, to remove posts automatically on Facebook and to control the narratives on Facebook and Twitter. And now this guy, Li Fang, from this, um, this intercept, uh, has has broken the story, and he was yesterday interviewed on Tucker Carlson's show. I think it's worth it's, it's the worth Department listening of to. The Security published its established its own Ministry of Truth. It was so ridiculous it had to be disbanded almost immediately. The woman running it was so far out; she was a parody and discredited the censorship movement. But that doesn't mean DHS has stopped trying to censor you. Oh, they are. You just didn't know about it. Thanks to the Intercept which just obtained many years of internal documents from DHS, we know that companies like Facebook and Twitter have been working closely with the Biden administration to, quote, curb speech that the administration doesn't approve of. Emails also show that Twitter's top censor, Vijay Gotti, which was fired by Elon Musk, met every month with the Biden administration censors at DHS to talk about new ways to get you to shut up in unconstitutional fashion. Lee Fang broke this story. He's an investigative journalist at The Intercept. He joins us tonight. Lee, thanks so much for coming on. This seems like a really important story, which is for some reason being ignored. Um, do we get the outlines thanks right? For having the me. administration is working with the tech companies to censor people. Yeah, that's right. You know, Tucker, uh, we looked at really hundreds of documents that paint a vivid picture of the FBI, the DHS, closely collaborating with the top social media platforms, Twitter and Facebook, to censor uh, various forms of content under the banner of fighting disinformation. And the story shows a couple of things. One, it shows what you just mentioned, a very cozy relationship between the government and these tech giants. Um, there's those monthly meetings that you just mentioned, uh, but also just very cozy emails and, and texts, um, not a very adversarial relationship. You know, we looked at one text where Microsoft executive texts uh, Jen Easterly, the top disinfo um, director at DHS appointed by Biden, basically saying the government needs to get, the private sector needs to get more comfortable with the government. 
Um, they're closely collaborating on reports talking about the expanded role for DHS in censoring a really broad uh, collection of, of, of topic areas, of, of, of policy and political topics. And, you know, just broadly speaking, uh, the story also just looks at the mission creep of DHS. This, this is an agency that was founded in the aftermath of 9-11 to combat foreign terror threats of al-Qaeda and the like. Um, but over the last five years, it's kind of uh, evolved in its mission. It's moved towards fighting disinfo, and their justification is, you know, uh, disinformation radicalizes uh, the homeland. It can lead to disruptions in public health or in political violence. Um, so they, they, yeah. they have a justification. We have these documents, and, and they're pushing forward uh, with this broad uh, censorship agenda. So why was this broken now? Well, I'll tell you why this was broken now. There's two reasons why this, was, this could have been broken when it was broken. The first thing is, the Democrats are going into midterms, and it looks like they're going to lose in the midterm elections or take a big knock in the midterms. And then there's a good chance that the Republicans would have le leaked these documents. The other reason why they're probably speaking about the story now is because, remember when Elon tried to buy Twitter, the Democrats and the government specifically did everything that they could to try and stop Elon from buying Twitter. I'll remind you, I'm trying to find a, a tweet here, but there was this story over here, which all of a sudden... Um, the U.S. weighed on, on um, security reviews on all Musk deals. I don't know if you remember that, but that came out of nowhere. And I, and I think that they realized that they couldn't stop the takeover of Twitter. And they knew that once Elon gets into Twitter, he will be able to dig this out. And they thought, you know what, the best strategy is actually just to get ahead of it. And that's exactly what they did. They, they, they played that strategy of just getting ahead of the information. That's why this information finally came out. But either way, what you can see is that they've been working with the government, with the FBI, with the Department of Homeland Security to control what you can and what, what you can't see. And what that means is that if they control what you can and what you can't see and what narratives you should be privy to and what narratives you're not privy to, they're effectively trying to control the way that you think. And in comes Elon into Twitter, and he's completely anti-establishment. He completely doesn't believe that this is constitutional. He wants this public town this public town square where anyone can talk um, uninhibited. And this doesn't make sense in the government's plans. And I think that this is just the first chapter of the story. I think it is disgusting. It, it makes my blood boil that people are being manipulated like this. Now, we always knew that you were being manipulated, but I don't think we ever got confirmation, official confirmation. And this is the official confirmation. So at least now you know, because you know, you know how to position yourself. You know when you see things, you can ask questions. Um, we're also seeing a whole lot of narratives that, you know, like the whole vaccine narrative about how the vaccine doesn't spread. Uh, if, you, if you are vaccinated and you have had your boosters, well, you can't spread COVID. And, and, and we realize now that that was a whole lot of garbage. And so I think, look, you guys have been made aware of it. Let's keep our eyes open on the story. Let's be smarter than, than the rest when it comes to this. But I think that that's what's going on now. I don't think that Elon knew exactly what he was buying. He thought he was buying a social media platform. What he realized he was buying, he was buying something that was extremely, extremely, extremely political. And I think that now he's facing some bigger headwinds. Now, I don't know if this is a rumor or whether this is true, but it's worth talking about. Google and Apple are in discussions about deplatforming Twitter itself. Can I imagine that, that this actually happens? Imagine that you bought a $44 billion asset and Google and Apple decide to disband you or take you off the or, or, or take you off the the um, the the store. So you got to be careful. This is a political thing. We'll try and keep you updated. Hopefully, our 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 um, our content doesn't get removed off YouTube. If we're not here tomorrow, at least you'll know why.
It's true. I mean, this is crazy. I, I didn't even know if I wanted to report on it. But I think uh, truth at all costs. Truth at all costs. Um, some other good news. I mean, I guess good news. We all saw this. XRP news. Uh, and that is that Coinbase has filed an amicus brief in support of Ripple's fair notice defense. So um, what, what is an amicus brief? I Googled it for you guys because I knew that you guys wouldn't Google it yourselves. And an amicus brief is an individual organization who is not a party to a legal case, but who wants to be permitted by the court to assist in offering information. And so I looked at this amicus brief and what this amicus brief says, it's, it's written by Coinbase. And it says, we write on behalf of our client Coinbase to specifically request the court's permission to file for an amicus brief addressing the defendant's motion for summary judgment in the above caption case, Ripple Labs against the, the SEC. Um, uh, the SEC and has informed us that, that it will determine its position on the, on, on the filing, blah, 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 blah. There's no governing standard rule and it goes through the whole thing. And it's basically asking the court to be able to file a brief to bring information into this court case. So again, while... What it feels like to me is it feels like Coinbase wants to be the good guys because they compete with FTX and they realize that Sam Bankman-Fried made a huge mistake and they thought, you know what, he has another opportunity for us to score a whole lot of points. You'll remember that Coinbase also scored a whole lot of points by paying for legal counsel to take on OFAC and the US Treasury against uh, in the Tornado Cash case, right? So here they are coming again to Ripple's rescue and saying, look, we want to be allowed to contribute uh, to the court case. Um, what else is there? What else is there? Let's have a look here. Um, if you bought Facebook in 2015 and you held for seven seven years, you're now underwater. I wonder at what point Facebook becomes a buy. I mean, there's got to be a point where where Facebook becomes a buy. So right now, if you look at it, let's go on to the weekly. I think the weekly is probably the best here. So right now, we are at the same levels that we were at the last time I'm at these levels is on the 11th of January, uh, 2016. That's seven years ago. Um, at what point does Facebook meta become a buy? I think we should spend some time on it because I think at some point this thing becomes a buy. Because the core, remember, the Facebook core business is actually a very, very, very healthy business. The Instagram business is a very healthy business. The WhatsApp business is a very healthy business. The Facebook product itself, oh, well, old-fashioned, but still generates like $45 billion of free cash flow. The problem is that Mark Zuckerberg is destroying the cash flow investing in the metaverse. If the metaverse works, Mark Zuckerberg becomes the biggest thing in the world. Because remember that the amount of money that Mark Zuckerberg is investing in the metaverse is the biggest investment made by, any, by anyone since the, 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 the onset of capitalism. No bigger investment has been made into technology not into launching rockets into space, not into electric vehicles, not into mobile phone towers. Never has an investment, such a big investment been made into a technology ever, as much as Mark Zuckerberg is, 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 is paying into the metaverse. So it's kind of going for an all or nothing. If it works, bang, Mark Zuckerberg becomes the king again and Facebook becomes the king again. If it doesn't, well, at some point, someone's got to stop the bleeding and say, you know what, Mark, you cannot be spending so much more money on the metaverse. So we'll keep watching this chart because at some point there is a, a, a reason to, 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 to probably look at it. Uh, the next story is India is launching a digital rupee, a CBDC pilot. Finally, we've, we've been he hearing about this for a long time. I don't like the idea of using CBDCs at all. I think that CBDCs take away your rights. I've spoken to you guys about that many times, but... CBDCs do teach people how to use crypto wallets because you're going to have a crypto wallet on your phone 
And so there's, there is that toss-up. And I think that ultimately we'll all have CBDCs, but I think for those who want to tap out of CBDCs, you can always go into Bitcoin. And I think that's, that's what Bitcoin's uh, main use is going to be. Um, what else is there? This was a crazy, crazy, crazy story. The story of the 29-year-old MakerDAO um, co-founder who was found dead in San Juan in Puerto Rico three days after tweeting from his personal Twitter account. He said, CIA and Mossad and pedo elite are running some kind of sex trafficking entrapment blackmail ring out of Puerto Rico and Caribbean islands. They are going to frame me with a laptop planted by my ex-girlfriend who was, who was a spy. They will torture me to death. Crazy that this guy's been found dead. Now, there's not much more information. Um, either this guy was completely messed up and taking a lot of drugs, or this is a very, 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 very serious story. We'll keep you updated on, on that as well. Um, all right, listen, I'm going to go, but I know I said I'm going to give you guys uh, 10x, not 10x, but fund your, your um, trading accounts on BitGet and on Bybit, but I actually want to go spend some time with my son who's just come out of an operation. So I'll see you guys again tomorrow. I will do a show before I get on the plane. So there will be a show at the normal time tomorrow. And then after that, I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of Sheldino and uh, Kyle. And yeah, that's it. Zachy, do you want to say anything to everybody before we go? Come, come, come and say something. I don't know. I think so. Come and see. Okay. Come say bye to everyone. Bye. Say bye. Thanks for watching, my daddy. Thanks for watching, my daddy. Okay, no, but you must look in the camera when you say it. Say, thanks for watching, my daddy. Thanks for watching, my daddy. So I'll see you guys again tomorrow. I'll see you guys again tomorrow. Until then, right, leave your iPad here. Say, until then, look in the camera. Say, until then. Until then. Trade well, my friends. Trade well, my friends. Okay. Listen, we're almost...